Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Here we are, quick turnarounds or what we do now here in the bleachers. So if you've got your tickets, you're enjoying how it's been in the last couple of weeks, Tuttle and I giving you the twice a week podcast because so much has been going on. And again, we are going to come at you with another quick hit because the Astros are rolling. The weather in Houston is fantastic. They already know who the opponent's going to be in the World Series if and when the, hopefully the Astros get there. And maybe a couple of other things that we will hit on there. We're going to talk a little bit about the Nationals, a whole lot about the Houston Astros. And of course, I do this twice a week or weekly or however often we get to get together. But we have been very good about coordinating our our schedules now that school's back in session. I'm not traveling with the team. And of course, it's my good buddy, David Tuttle. How are we doing this week, Tuttle? Plumber, awesome. It's what been two and a half days since I spoke with you last. The, the bond continues. The friendship is growing, but we spend, we're spending a lot more time together, and I appreciate that. So uh, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, me too. It's been a really good uh, week. It's good to be able to talk to Tuttle more frequently because the topics keep rolling. And I think both of us between texting each other during these games and seeing some of the action on Twitter, there is a huge amount of excitement around what the Houston Astros are doing. Obviously, they have won their third game. One more, they get to go to the World Series, putting the uh, New York Yankees behind the eight ball, so to speak, and forcing them to play uh, clinch baseball the rest of the way. We will dig into that a little bit. I did have an event at St. Arnold's last night for the watch party, watching Granky go out there. We did a Facebook Live. There was some great interaction, great, great questions, and obviously I had a couple of good beers. Uh, mostly I had a couple of Art Car IPAs and enjoyed a, one of their pizzas. But there is something in the works. Now, there's a couple of things I've got going, and I want to tease this because they're fascinating to me and sound exciting. But uh, there's going to be another collaboration with the St. Arnold's crew if the Astros get to the World Series. So stay tuned for that. And I also talked to my boy Lenny Ambrose over there who runs the marketing for St. Arnold. And guess what he said, Tuttle? He said, we need to get your boy out here. So just know that when Tuttle makes his appearance here in the H-Town area, we're going to blast it all over Twitter. We're going to blast it wherever we can and really let everybody know that Tuttle's coming to town because he, he, he is adamant that he shuts down part of the, uh, the the chapel of beer that they have out there at the beer garden for us to be able to have our podcast going. So I would imagine that would be a very excitable afternoon. And maybe instead of doing a mailbag like we do with the emails, just shoot on over to St. Arnold's, grab a beer, sit down, and we'll put you on mic and maybe have you ask that, ask that question live. So a lot, a lot of good things happening in the future between St. Arnold's and Bleacher Blums. So stay tuned on that. And keep hoping the Astros get to the World Series because there will increase an opportunity for something to maybe happen a little bit later. And again, I'm trying to become more Texan. And I don't know if you have any boots, Tuttle. Do you have any Do you have any cowboy boots? I used to have some cowboy boots when I played minor league ball, right? You live in El Paso what? and somewhere else. Hey, I was trying to impress the women, you know. They're nice. So, uh, I do not believe. So, you know what? I might have some cowboy. I might have some ropers or something somewhere. But uh, that doesn't mean I'll. That wow. doesn't mean I, I've worn them in twenty years. Yeah, that's true. Well, he'll maybe he'll have to break them out when you come to Houston because one of the ongoing jokes is I'm trying to assimilate and become a Texan, and one of the things I'm lacking is a pair of boots. And I've been contacted by a local company that we're trying to work out some of the details on how we'll be able to do it. But I may be in the market 
for a new pair of boots. And it's going to be a lot of fun trying to figure out which ones to get because you just said ropers and I barely just found out what those, what that meant here recently. So I'm kind of excited about that. But again, a lot of this stuff is based on the Astros going another step and getting to the world series. So we could have a lot more to talk about, but for the time being, Everybody has been phenomenal. We are downloading some great stuff. We are getting so many downloads, so many subscriptions and ratings and reviews. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to throw it to Tuttle here real quick for maybe any more comments about how, how I'm lacking in the boot department and lacking my Texas card. I'm working on that. But he's also going to be able to jump into the mailbag because, dude, we have, we have had a couple of podcasts and the hits are going up on our website at bleacherblums.com. And before Tuttle gets into it, real quick, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who's listening. If you are listening while you're on the treadmill, running around a track, riding in a car, thank you. Because the fans are what drives this machine, and this is why we bring it to you. But the mailbag returns, and some of that we were getting are, have been phenomenal, and I look forward to it now. I'm going to hand it over to Tuttle, but thank you to the Bleacher Blums family. Awesome. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's great. It uh, fills us up with energy. We were looking at the downloads and then starting to look at the hits on the website, and they're they're uh, they're starting to kind of conjoin. I mean, uh, the hits and the downloads are both picking up. Yeah. And, you know, it's humbling. It's really great. I mean, you've been in the public eye a lot more than I have, and uh, obviously you get to feel some of the energy from the fans when you're out at the ballpark. I don't get quite to I, I don't get uh, the ability to feel that on a regular basis, but this podcast is certainly. Uh, Certainly been humbling and really excited to have uh, everybody uh, everybody out there listening. And then the fact that even St. Arnold's, you know, doing a live podcast there, that's really cool. And you you threw that at me without telling me. So uh, that, that kind of brought a smile to my face. Let me just say I wrote this down while we were talking about cowboy boots. Ropers are boots with training wheels. That's your first set of cowboy boots where you got laces and you got the little fringe on the front. But if you wear if you wear them with jeans, I just made that up on the fly. But I think that's right. If you if you really want cowboy boots, you got to you got to. You got to dig in and get the high heel pointed <laughs> toes and the alligator skin. But I think ropers are kind of the way to dip your toe in the water without necessarily becoming either full Texan or full cowboy uh, immediately. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to go full blown Texan. So the roper might be the way to go. I'm glad you told me that. Uh, so when I go in and, and hopefully uh, continue this relationship that I've started up, I'm going to go, hey, man, you got the ones with uh, training wheels on them? Because I don't want to go immediate to that two inch heel and be stumbling all over the place. That's right. And and I think living in a house full of women, as you do, uh, you're, you'll get some feedback. So you'll, you'll, you'll kind of know the right direction to go. They'll let you know, uh-oh, yep, he went a, with the, uh, the purple alligator boots. It's a little extreme. I don't know. Here we go. Yeah, that's, a, that's another great call. When in doubt, definitely go to the five other women in the house. They'll definitely give me their opinion for sure, especially fashion. That's right. All right, so we are into the mailbag. Everyone, uh, gosh, we, I think we have like eight or nine questions today. So we're going to speed through this one. This is more of a statement, but I'm going to get Jeff's opinion on this. So uh, this is from Kenny G. I, I don't know if that's the real oh, Kenny G or just a Kenny G. That could, that could be a couple of different things. It could be the sweet sounds of the saxophone of Kenny G, or it could be the guy that punches himself on the side of the face, Ken Giles. Oh, Ken Giles. There we go. I don't know. Kenny G, we'll see. We'll see uh, in the future. Maybe you can get 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 a shout out at us here, and we'll we'll figure out who it is. I don't think it's the Ken Giles that punches himself in the face, but here we go. Hey boys, the questions I'd really like to ask cannot be answered due to Jim Bouton and the code and all that. That's right. What happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. Um, insert ten paragraphs here about loving the Astros all my life, my whole family living and dead, about Blummer, college ball, relatives who played pro, how my wife from England loves the Astros now, and everything. Blah 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 blah. He wrote that. Now to the point, after six months, 
plus 30 years your family? Here are some wild guesses. How about a true, false, or comment on each of these? So, smartest astro, Carlos Correa. Funniest astro, English-speaking, Chris Davinsky. Funniest astro, Spanish-speaking, Yuli Gurriel. And the nicest astro, Robinson Chirinos. All right. So, the first one, smartest astro? Yeah, I'll repeat them if you can't keep track of all of them. Yeah, I'm trying to get... So, one by one, uh, smartest astro, good guess, but I'm saying Garrett Cole. Because everything I've talked to that guy about, he does his research, he knows the history of the game, he knows the history of the Astros, and obviously what he goes out and does is is hyper-talented, but also hyper-knowledgeable. What's the second one? Uh, funniest Astro, and that was English-speaking, so he broke that into two. So he wrote Chris Davinsky. Devo is very funny. Great conversation. Also a Southern California guy, so I love him. But... Miles Straw, the funniest dude, hands down, because he's got some great impressions. Uh, he actually does a very good Davinsky after a strikeout and does the Devo strut around the back of the mound. Miles Straw, funniest Astro. All right. And then, so I don't know if you can go this way, but funniest Astro is Spanish speaking, Yuli Gurriel. So I don't know if you have to, if Miles Straw takes the cake, you're not, it doesn't have to be a cultural thing. He can beat everybody. But uh, this guy asked about uh, the funniest Astro that speaks Spanish. This is true. Yuli is very funny, and he is usually hanging around Miles Straw. All right. I like it. So you were kind of on. And then the nicest Astro. That's, come on. You get, He said Robinson Chirinos, but I mean, that's got to be like 10 guys. You know, don't you have to suck up to about 10 guys? I don't know. No, that's, that's actually a really good point that Tuttle brings up because there, there there's easily a, at least a dozen guys you go down there. I mean, it could be from Jake Marisnik to, you know, depending on uh, Alex Bregman. How, you know, the, all these guys are hyper totally personable. They're great to me as individuals. But if you did have to say nicest, I think it would be a toss up between Jose Altuve and Robinson Chirinos for me. And what maybe puts Altuve ahead of Chirinos is the fact that he gets so much attention because he's an MVP player and he still treats everybody the same way. And he's incredibly nice to everybody. But uh, I can, I can say true to Robinson Chirinos because he's right up there. He's one of the best. That's, that's a really good insight. I always think that, right? Robinson Chirinos probably doesn't deal with the same things that Jose Altuve does in terms of requests and sponsorships and things like that. And hopefully all of us can do that, you know, um, just kind of be true to who we are and stay consistent. And I think it's really neat to, uh, to differentiate, as you pointed out, that Altuve may have a little more of an onslaught of uh, time requests and, and, and interview requests. And it sounds like uh, he just handles it all really well, as does many of the players on the team. Um, all right, the next question. Let me uh, run to that question. I got There's a bunch of them here, like I said. So this is Mike F., what are y'all's thoughts? See, y'all, I can even throw that in there. What are y'all's thoughts on the USA Today's article where Josh Reddick said the fans were throwing baseballs and water bottles at him on the field during game three? I've always felt like New York has some of the worst fans. Were there any places that stood out to y'all in your playing day? Um, you know, there's some interesting minor league cities around the country that you end up going through. And what was, what was impressive to me about the minor leagues is that some places, you know, there's on any given night, you could get anywhere from, you know, six, 7,000 fans to five, 600 fans. And I think one of the funnier things is when you don't get a lot of fans in a stadium. And I know Tuttle can attest to this too, in these small ballparks is that you get that one guy that has done his homework and just chooses to pay for the ticket so he could sit there and absolutely ream you and everything you do. I mean, it's almost pitch by pitch 
And uh, so that is always interesting. I can't think of a, a, a city in particular where that happened too frequently because there were so many cities across the country that I played in that uh, people used to get uh, kind of rowdy. Um, university, you know, Arizona State University was one in college where, man, they got after it and it got to the point where you wanted you wanted to go upstairs and fight because of what they said about something of your teammate. Um, it, it was usually pretty bad, but I don't want to make them sound worse than they are, but it was pretty bad. Um, Philadelphia is, is one of the ones where you go in and you just get obliterated, whether it was old veteran stadium where I played at quite a bit or the new Philadelphia stadium. Uh, you, you, they, they know how to berate and discourage the opposing team. They do a very good job at it. But as far as getting stuff thrown at you, I mean, I've had batteries thrown at me. I've had, you know, beers, you know, little medallions, coins, you know, stuff like that. But it sucks, man. It really takes the fun out of the game and it takes the fun out of the travel experience. And, you know, I, I give Josh Reddit a lot of credit because if, if I'm getting thrown at, getting stuff thrown at without saying anything, what are they going to throw at me if I do say something? But I guess in, in, in Josh's defense, what he's saying is they're throwing stuff at me maybe to bring attention to the security because I know security was a little bit better in game four. You know, there was a guy that got tossed out who's a complete jackass. I mean, I don't know why you would go out and verbally assault a guy who has so, social anxiety and depression. You know, that's kind of bullshit right there. But, uh, you know, there's you can go out and rag on guys, but don't take it to that extent where you're getting personal about their family, their wives or their you know anxiety or depression they're dealing with. I don't care how much the guy, money the guy makes. He's still a human being. But uh, I think in year, the last most recent years, 17 and 19. Yes, the Yankee fans have been a little more aggressive towards the Houston fans. Yeah. And I mean, I think the ultimate competition, right, the 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 you know, the title of the American league and heading to the world series obviously brings out, um, yeah. ultra competitive players on the field, but also from a fan base and home field advantage. I will say this, it, it, you know, having batteries and water bottles thrown at you. I mean, good thing. These guys aren't playing professional ball. I mean, they can't hit, uh, the broadside of a barn. <laughs> I mean, since we haven't heard anybody like, Oh yeah, like oh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this at him and I miss him by 20 feet. I mean, that's the advantage that the players on the field have, but you know, all joking aside, I feel like, yeah, I mean, in the minor leagues, especially, I had the same experience. Uh, we kind of touched on this a couple of podcasts ago with the Dodger fans leaving and then obviously the mass exodus when something happens late in the game. And that's when you start hearing the people. So the home field advantage is great with 40 or 50,000 people and the roar goes up and the roar goes down. But when there's like, you know, 2000 people in the stands and there's a guy sitting right by a home plate or right above the dugout with a sign. And to your point, I remember it in college when we played Loyola Marymount. Our catcher wanted to go up and fight some dude, but they do their homework. You know, they're like, oh, you're, you're, yeah. your family's divorced or you're an only child or, you know, your your sister's a scholarship athlete somewhere. I mean, they do their homework. They're like, oh, you couldn't get into, you know, Stanford, so you had to go to Berkeley. You know, I mean, the, whatever it is, they, they – and That's messed up. Those are the fans. Those are the fans that actually you kind of appreciate and can laugh at. And by the third game of the series – Oh man, I always remember that. Like if they were intelligent and they did it in the right way, you could actually go give them knuckles or give them a handshake after and tell them that you enjoyed, you know, you could actually enjoy the, the, the good natured ribbing. But to take it back to your point, I think Josh Reddick probably had to consider if I say something, this might get worse, but you know, I, I, you know, we talk about all the time about the fans reaching over and, you know, affecting the play, but you know, we're heading to a time where, you know, 
a, a fielder is going to be under a fly ball and get hit by a water bottle at the same time. And then you're going to have some sort of um, discussion between the umpires. Like, could he have caught it? Would he have not? Do we throw the fan out? Does that count? I mean, that whole thing, like the fans are there, hopefully, to root on your team, but not to affect the outcome, let's hope. And, uh, and I think, you know, you got to call a spade a spade. If, if, if you see something mm -hmm. that's not uh, appropriate and not, contributing to the benefit of the game or being a good fan, then you gotta, you gotta uh, eliminate that from the ballpark. No, great stuff. All right, we're moving on. So a uh, question from Andy C. And I think we've kind of, we kind of know where this is going now, but uh, this is still relevant. If game four gets rained out so that games four, five, six, and seven are played on consecutive days, which has now happened, which team gains the greatest advantage? How do you think AJ Hinch will line up the pitching rotation in this four days in a row scenario? So we kind of have that answer, but it'd be interesting to hear your, you know, what the thinking is behind that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, we already knew that game four was going to be that bullpen day. So that's why I, I think it was the last podcast where I said that the baseball gods were actually shining down on the Houston Astros and basically eliminating the opportunity for the bullpen game that may not have gone the Astros way. Who knows? The bullpen has actually been lights out in the in the uh, championship series for the Houston Astros. That being said, I really think that they benefited by having that rain out and forcing games four, five, six, and seven to be played consecutive, consecutively because for the Astros, they're able to get rid of the bullpen day. And with A.J. Hinch saying, Granky, Verlander, Cole, I think it's absolutely genius. You go to win and you win now. And how do you do that? You play your three aces out there and try and go get them because that forces you have a two to one lead going into game four last night and you're forcing the opposing team much like we just, we uh saw the tampa bay rays unable to do they had to go they had to run the gauntlet you had to go granky verlander cole and that's how the astros finished off the division series now they have an opportunity to do the same thing with that rain out going granky verlander and cole so right now the astros sitting three to one we'll talk about this a little bit later is that they you know, have two opportunities to win one game with Verlander and Cole. So the chances are pretty good for them. On the other side, I think it was a, a disadvantage for the Yankees for a couple of reasons. One is because Giancarlo Stanton has, still has his quad issue. He didn't play in game four. He may be forced to play in game five because they need the weaponry in their lineup to go out there and attack Verlander. Um, it would really be a boost to their lineup because they have had some issues. They've had rotating four-hole hitters between Torres and uh, Gardner, who have struggled. And then for me, the bullpen. We know that Aaron Boone is a bullpen use guy. We saw that, especially with Paxton in game two, where he went to the bullpen after two and a third innings. And Tuttle, you can probably speak to this too. With a, with a team pitching a bullpen on back-to-back-to-back-to-back days, that's hard. You're going to develop some kind of fatigue. The first two games, you may have some guys that are on point that feel pretty good. But by game three, if they pitch three days in a row, game four, if they pitch four days in a row, they're going to lose some location. They're going to lose some velocity. There's going to be some issues that are just inherent because they're not built to pitch four days in a row. So it would be very taxing on that bullpen. And they've already got Ottavino, who has stunk it up in the playoffs to the point where he's getting booed off the field, which is it's too bad. And they lost CeCe Sabathia last night. So they have a guy that they just added to the roster. I think his last name is Heller. 
And so they've got a new guy in that bullpen. That might help them out. But again, to go three straight days of using the same guys in the bullpen really hurts. Yeah, so I, I would agree that this uh, Andy C's question, we answered kind of in the last podcast because we kind of knew that that was going to happen weather-wise. But to your point, I, I heard this last night. Maybe it's because Joe Buck was not doing the broadcast. He had the football game last night. It was a guy named it was a Jim Davis. Yeah, that was total. That was absolutely savage right there. Oh, I wasn't getting after Joe Buck. I just thought it was interesting because that guy had a little different insight, and you could tell he had done a little more research. And you had talked about the the uh, enjoyment for the game. Um, I, I'm not going to get the statistic right, but there was something like if the Yankee starters went five innings throughout the course of the year, the 162 game season, their winning percentage was like 90 percent when their oh. starters went five innings, and. I, I, this is just a simple thing, but basically I think the broadcaster pointed out last night, the Yanks bullpen is exposed and the Astros is not. And I think when people see the Yankees bullpen with, you know, uh, Conley and uh, green and those guys coming out of there and they're like, Oh, these guys all throw 97, 98. They're great. Yeah. But when you get to see them three days in a row, it's the mystique isn't there. I mean, Presley has been struggling a little bit since his injury. And we'll get to that in another mailbag question. His stuff is nasty last night, though, and he comes in and they haven't really seen him. He gets two punch outs, and then he probably would bring him out for another inning except the three-run homer. And so now he's he's out of the game, and now you bring in Josh James, who you know obviously got behind the count, but he's throwing 99-98. Like, you can kind of mix and match these guys. You don't know when you're going to see Presley again, but he may come in to get one out in the seventh or eighth inning with Verlander on the mound, and that's a big out, but he's not. he doesn't have to throw an inning in a third or two-thirds. And... And I think that's where this series will be won ultimately by the Astros is that, that and I think that's kind of where this question was leading and we've touched on it is that we, we know that seeing a guy day after day after day after day, and we saw that with Araldis Chapman in the Cubs World Series run uh, when Rajay Davis hit the home run. To me, that was an exposure home run and a, and a fatigue home run. And I think that's what's ultimately going to happen to the Yankees. Keep bringing these guys out. I mean, the, the guy that gave up the three-run homer last night is it, I want to say Chad Green? Uh, Green. Yeah, Chad Green. Yeah, Chad Green. I mean, he was throwing 97, 98. He missed his spot by three feet. That pitch was like 94. And then he went back to 97, 98. So again, just that little lull and just the fact that Correa was in there. I mean, that that's huge. And they're getting to see these guys on a regular basis. So I think we all agree that it's an advantage for the Astros. Yeah, and what a great idea, you know, Tull knows, and even from the offensive side, which I failed to point out, is that if you see a guy repetitively, you're going to get a little more comfortable because you're seeing that release point more often. Great point. Yeah, even if he's not tipping his pitches, which I know we'll get to. Ha, had to throw that in there. <laughs> oh, how All dare right. you. Mail, mailbag question. This, I actually think I know the answer to this, but I'll, I'll, as always, I like to defer to you since I'm reading the question. This is from Blake A., Blake A, does AJ Hinch call the pitches during a game or do Chirinos and Maldonado? I'm curious because I've seen the catchers looking at the d dugout between pitches and knowing AJ's history being a catcher. You know what? They do not. And I think it's it's between – and AJ's lucky in the sense that he's got veteran catchers in Maldonado and uh, Robinson Chirinos. He also has veteran pitchers between Cole and Verlander. And I'm just going to take – and even Granky to that point, I'm just going to take those guys for instance – Whereas a younger pitcher, you might need a little more help from the dugout. But I think Chirinos and Verlander have a very good rapport. Maldonado and Cole have a very good rapport. So they can really talk things out. And what I love about Chirinos and Maldonado, Maldonado, I think, is a little more adept to it, is watching the hitter swing and adjusting what their game plan is to what the hitter is doing if he sees a swing. So it's very good in that sense. But what you're seeing when the catcher looks into the dugout, 
it may be it, it may be a suggestion if there's nobody on base, but it also when guys get on base, you're looking in to see do I want them to slide step? Do I want to pick over? Do I want to pitch out? There's certain situational game planning type things that the manager still has control over. And that's why the catcher is looking in there to make sure, do we have a play on? Okay, we don't have a play on. I'm going to go to my sequence. We're going to call a pitch and get on with it. But that's why they're peeking in more often than not. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, just watch the game uh, a little more closely and watch when they look in. And you'll see with runners on base, they're looking in much more extensively. Uh, first and third, you know very well, in spring training, PFP every day, pitchers fielding practice. We had to work on the first and third all the time. Um, is there a guy on third base? Do these guys have a tendency to squeeze? What part of the order are they coming in? It's all the plays kind of behind. It's not about what pitch they're going to throw. They're looking in for all the other subtleties like, What's the ten? You know, is this? Do you want the pitcher to slide step? Do you want him to have an inside move? Does the guy on second base like to p- pick up signs? Maybe we should change the sign uh, for the pitcher. Um, you know, does this guy have a tendency to steal third base? All of those things. So typically, yeah, as you said, I mean, the the game would go too long. We watch college baseball. A lot of the managers and a lot of the coaches call pitches. It's like too much. College football is the same way. They get set with 20 seconds and they all look over to the sideline. They're holding up signs. <laughs> yeah, they're in this coverage. I mean, it takes kind of the the thought process out of it for a younger athlete. But you you want those guys making their own decisions. I mean, if the game's on the line and, and, and the World Series title's on the line, you want Verlander and the catcher and the guys on the field that understand what the swing, you know, swing tendencies are and all that making the call at that time. No, you do. And, you know, great point on the situationally first and thirds. There's so many things going on in the periphery that guys have to pay attention to. So and AJ's an ex-catcher. I'm sure a lot of the preparation and this is probably one thing that, you know, maybe later podcasts we need to talk about is the preparation for me is everything when you're going into a sport, job, interview, whatever it may be, just in life itself, be prepared. And these guys do a great job in preparing because so much information is in front of them. And AJ doesn't want to hold these guys' hands. He wants them to go out there and pitch their game and feel comfortable and not have to worry about his input also. Yeah, so um, this is from uh, Murphy Jr., who we know on uh, Twitter. He's interesting, but I thought his question was legitimate. And it actually goes what you just talked about, preparation. So this jumps right into it, which is awesome. So Podcast 38, uh, part of it was a topic of discussion about opposing teams' batters adjusting to the info. Everyone is up in arms about this, but who cares, really? Isn't this exactly what Carlos Beltran did for so many years by watching film and taking the knowledge onto the field? Was his, wasn't his batting success not partially attributed to his going the extra mile and doing his homework that is, all avail- that is available to all MLB batters? Are these people upset because they're too effing lazy to study? Just asking my most favorite podcast duo from the third coast and the left coast. So I, I would say, yeah, that's exactly, you were just talking about preparation and I talked about competitive advantage last time. I mean, if you can get a competitive advantage and you can kind of figure out what this guy's throwing you and what count, and uh, we talked about the exposure of the bullpen from the Yankees side. If you get to see this guy three nights in a row in crucial situations, typically he's going to go with his strengths, you would think. And so it, all of that stuff hopefully gets into your, uh, into your database that you can utilize in the field in, in crunch time. No, completely agree. And I like the idea of competitive advantage because it's not cheating. There's not a rule that says you can't whistle, can't steal a sign, can't relay a sign, can't can't pick up on a guy tipping. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. This cheating word is just too easy. And when did we all get so damn sensitive about this stuff? I mean, who cares? Uh, guys, Babe Ruth 
would look for every competitive advantage, you know, and whether it was eating an extra hot dog or finding out what this guy was doing the night before or buying him a beer, you know, who knows what's going on, but it's all part of the game. And to your point about the preparation, the Astros are prepared to take advantage of any situation if you present it to them. Now, the opposing team, shouldn't they be prepared if all of a sudden I find out the Astros are on to me? Shouldn't I be prepared to go to a different sign, be prepared to go to a different pitch, be prepared to go to a different set or wind up? You know, there it's, it's frustrating to me that there is such a big deal being made out of this whole situation. I know that I'd probably get to this later in the podcast, but it is the most annoying thing to me to have, oh, Major League Baseball exec says, oh, somebody within the scout said, shut up. You know why they're saying that? Because they never played the game. Get on the field, get in the dugout, figure out what it's like to compete at this level and figure out how damn hard it is to face a guy throwing 98 with a turbo spin slider. If I can find out what he's throwing, it's going to help me be a better ball player. And guess what else it's going to do? It's going to help my team win. And ultimately, that's all that matters. Sorry. That is true. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, take it to the 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 real world, right? I'm I'm in sales. You figure yes. about sales, and if you could find out that your competitor is going to offer this on the deal, you know, through moral, uh, morally, uh, uh, ethical means, and you find out, you know, somebody within their organization shares with you that this is what the offer is, and this is how much they're going to charge for their services. If you can come in equal or a little bit less and offer the same thing, that's a competitive advantage, and you might be able to close the deal. And the whole point of the the whole point of this meeting is to close the deal. So to your point, and Dennis S completely agrees with you because Dennis S is our next mailbag question. He says, "It is my understanding that ball players, aka hitters, have been trying to find an advantage since the game first started. Yeah, since the wheel was invented. Thank as you. such, yes, as such, watching pitchers try to, and detect any tendencies and how that may correlate to a given pitch is just part of the game." Why, in your opinion, is the media seemingly hyper-focused on the Astros and now anytime we get a good hit, the pitchers must be tipping? This seems ridiculous and even feels disrespectful to the Astros players and their level of talent and dedication to their craft. Your thoughts, which you've already touched on. But I will say it's not just disrespectful to the Astros players. It's disrespectful to all the players that are involved in the playoffs. I mean, last night, the guy, again, he was talking about Bregman's approach at the plate. You know, he takes a 33-inch bat, chokes up on it, turns it into like a 29-inch bat. He stands up close to the plate, and he can turn on stuff. And he basically says, look, you can have the outside part of the plate, but you're not going to come in my kitchen over here. I'm going to turn on that. And so he's kind of giving you like the 70-20 rule. If you can, or the 75-25 rule, if you can locate your pitch 25% of the time away where I can't hit it and I'm protecting inside and you get me off the plate, then you're going to have the advantage, but I'm going to take the advantage right here. So... I mean, these guys do have a philosophy. This isn't all about, you know, pitch tipping and, you know, kind of trying to get a competitive advantage by figuring out what a sign or what pitch they're going to throw. A lot of these guys have been doing this for a long time, and they also have a philosophy that gets obviously magnified in playoff time, but their philosophy works. Otherwise, they wouldn't be hitting in the major leagues. Hello. Yeah. The excellent stuff, Tuttle. I completely agree with you. And you know what? Hitters have tells too. If I'm a half an hour late on your fastball, guess what the pitcher's going to do? Keep pumping me fastballs until I figure it out. So I'm going to keep swinging at your at your tip pitching until you figure it out. It goes both ways, you know. It, but the the media question, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't understand the fascination with it. 
you know, I, I thought the only whistleblower was in, you know, politics right now. Now we've got one in Major League Baseball. I mean, is it have is it just a hot topic that we're able to talk about, or are we just trying to to pull down one of the better teams in all of baseball? Are they do they it feel because it feels like when you start complaining about something that's not illegal, you're you're basically trying to bring down one of the better teams and and, and glorify yourself. So I don't understand why the media has latched onto it. I wish I knew because. And it's interesting to me to hear A-Rod talking about it. It's interesting to me to hear other players talking about it because, you know, in listening to Smoltz and some of the, you know, some of the stuff he's doing on the, on the color side, I don't really feel like he's spoken to it too much. I feel like he's a guy who really understands that. Yeah, it goes on. And how do you beat that? Cause there are ways to beat it. Even though the other team is, is trying to get that competitive advantage there, there's ways to overcome that. And I think that's where you, when you start to whine, you lack the ability to overcome. And that's where I think the media's at and maybe some of these quote unquote sources that we hear are at. Yeah. And I still, I mean, hopefully that's why this podcast is well received. I still feel like there typically uh, can be, you know, newbies around, right? The, the people get indoctrinated and introduced into sports and different things. And maybe you have a, a writer that covered NASCAR for a long time that now gets to cover the ALCS or something. And they're down by the dugout and they're like, Hey, what's he whistling for? What's this? And, you know, they kind of latch on to something that maybe they see, but you know, we've joked about it before the unwritten rules of baseball. Uh, I mean, these are, these are, <laughs> these, you have to dust these things off. These, <laughs> These are unwritten rules of baseball that have been around for a long time. And, you know, they're talking about the whistling and all that stuff. I, I, I think you're right. I, I think it's a non-issue that somebody latched onto and keeps the discussion going. But obviously, it wasn't mentioned yesterday a whole lot. It was mentioned as the kind of the precursor, the end of game three. And now into game four, hopefully, uh, hopefully it just dies down. Yeah, I hope it dies down, too, because it's ridiculous. You hear one guy whistling and all of a sudden we're up in arms. Guess what? How many other verbal cues did that person not hear? Because I guarantee you, and you probably know this, is if, let me give you an example. If David Tuttle is at the plate, he's hitting, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got this guy's pitches. I know when he's throwing a fastball. I know when he's throwing off speed. Here we go, Tuttle. Come on, buddy. I just said Tuttle's last name, and guess what I told Tuttle before he went to the plate? I said, hey, dude, if I say your last name at any point, it's going to be off speed. If I say your first right. name, it's going to be a fastball. So he takes the curveball down out of the zone because he knew it was coming. Next pitch. Here we go. Come on, David. You got this, man. Rock this ball, David. Come on, man. Guess what? He knows it's a fastball. So for every whistle, this, I am so, this source found out. I'm, I'm a little annoyed at that. But, uh, you know, MLB exec, give me a break. But, uh, for every whistle that person heard, I guarantee you there were about four or five other verbal cues that they didn't pick up on. Yeah. So again, the sands of time. I mean, I played a long time ago. <laughs> I played a little before you and then played, you know, I mean, we used first name, last name for as long as I can remember. We used it in college. We used it in pro ball. And as a pitcher, I wasn't offended that the hitters got somebody. It made me think, all right, I better have my, uh, my stuff together. You know, that's the other thing, Thank right? If, Great yeah. call. Yes. Your team's helping you, right? If you're giving up because you're looking for the competitive advantage. So, I mean, we could spend a whole whole podcast on that and maybe we will sometime. Yeah, so right. last last mailbag question, maybe uh, Presley answered this last night from Jimmy C. Thank you, Jimmy C, for writing in. Ever since late July, Presley hasn't been himself. 
I'm guessing that was about the time his injury started. Is it me or does it seem that he rushed back after knee surgery? His velo is down and looks as if his spin rate, ooh, a fan watching his spin rate, uh, that, that still blows me away, has slowed as well. Would like to hear both your opinions on this matter. Um, I'm going to let Tuttle jump in on this when I get done with this real quick. The only thing for me with Ryan Presley, I agree he may have rushed back a little bit. And again, it was his right knee push off leg. So it's a little more valuable. You got to get up on that. You know, basically with that leg kick, you're on a single leg leg with all your uh, weight and power driving towards home plate may have been a little bit quick, but also as a, as a, as a pitcher, or player who has an injury, especially lower extremity, to the point where you have surgery, it's in your head. A lot of times you got to get over that mental hurdle to convince yourself that you're 100% and you can go out there and really use the leg to push off like uh, Ryan Presley is trying to do. So I think hopefully last night we may have seen him take a step closer to getting back to who he was. Because uh, Tuttle mentioned it earlier in this podcast, how he started to look, or maybe we talked about it before the podcast, who knows. But uh, he looked a lot better last night. And I think it's because he's gaining confidence in that leg to be able to push off and create the arm speed to get velo and to create more spin. Is that a slider or a split he was throwing? That's a slider, like a hard curveball? That Dude, is nasty. It's a, he has a hard curveball and a turbo slider. It is nasty yeah. when it's on. So last night, whatever they were showing, maybe because they slowed it down uh, immensely, that was nasty. And you look at Glabar Torres, who was on fire uh, early on, maybe more so in the previous series against the Twins. I mean, I could not get a guy to swing at a pitch four feet out of the zone, and Presley had him swing at a couple pitches that were out of the zone. And when they slow it down, you can't even see the spin on the ball. It looks like it's going to be low and outside, and that thing just dives away. He looked he looked on last night, and I think if nothing else, that's going to be a huge confidence boost for him going forward. I completely agree. Is that it for Mailbag? Yeah, that's it for Mailbag. And we got to give a shout-out to Crush City Tees, as always. Crush City Tees is doing the Bleacher Blums podcast T-shirts. Folks, if you've got on bleacherblums.com, you'll see our Bleacher Blums t-shirts there. We now have the GFC, the Garrett Freakin' Cole t-shirt, the I'm Tingly t-shirt that uh, you can get on our website. But they're all produced by Crush City Tees, T-E-E-S.com. We know that's the place to go for H-Town, custom H-Town baseball t-shirts. Their direct-to-garment machine can make your idea a reality. No minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. They also provide embroidery and screen printing, designed and printed in Houston, crushcitytees.com. That's it. Yep, we love them. They've been great. We're seeing some of those T-shirts float around. Uh, I think that uh, the Astros won game two when my wife and I were there, and we she had the female version of I'm Tingly. And I had the male version of I'm Tingly, and it had nothing to do with how much we love each other. It had everything to do with our love for the Astros. Uh, it, but speaking of the Astros, they are – oh, bless you. <laughs> that was the Tingly part. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, solid plug for the relationship right there. Um, the Astros are one win away from the world. I love you, honey. <laughs> I know she listens to this, so yeah, yeah. So oh, okay. I, I think I just gained another year in marriage. Um, you did. <laughs> it's the little things, Tuttle. You know that. I do. Speaking of little things and big moments, I think that uh, last night was a lot of fun to watch uh, Zach Greinke go out there. I think it was a little tough early on that first inning. And I love the fact uh, that George Springer even mentioned as much after the ball game, talking about some of 
the early issues for Zach Greinke in that bases loaded situation, eventually only giving up one run before getting out of it, really provided those guys a boost because I guarantee you, when you're standing behind a pitcher who's struggling in that ballpark against that lineup, in the in the gravity of the situation, you're pretty happy to get out of there with one out. I mean, one uh, one run being scored. And George said as much after the game, and it really kind of gave them a boost and created the opportunity for them to go out there and score some runs. They did. George with a three-run home run. Carlos Correa with a three-run home run. But I really like the way that AJ went out there and used the bullpen behind uh, Zach Greinke. Even though J Josh James had a little bit of an issue, a hiccup there, uh, Will Harris was doing phenomenal things again. And then Osuna coming out for the uh, four-out save was pretty impressive too. So I like where the things are setting up. Zach Greinke in the championship series has a 3.48 ERA, which is highly respectable. I don't think any of us are expecting him to go out there and do JV Cole type things. They're just different pitchers. But if you can keep this offense in the game, I think it's a phenomenal thing. I want to ask Tuttle how he felt about Zach Greinke, even though it was only four and a third, I think it was the right time to get him out of there because he worked so hard in that first inning. But I'm going to ask you about Zach Greinke right now, and then I want to get back to game five and, you know, how you feel about the rotation. But Zach Greinke for right now, did you like what you saw? I did. You know, it, it's interesting because Greinke, we talk about these high-velocity guys and, you know, the studs all the time, JV, uh, and, of course, Garrett Cole and, Scherzer and Strasburg on the other side. I mean, these are the best pitchers in baseball. But what I found interesting was Granke's stuff is real good. And I'm not a get on the umpire kind of guy. But uh, from a pitching perspective, you got to feel like Granke's pitches are easier to see. You realize he's a control pitcher and he spots up really well. But I thought he got squeezed a little bit in that inning as well. Uh, I thought the 3-2 the pitch, was it 3-2 or 2-2? I thought that pitch to Encarnacion was a strike, which would have mm -hmm. got him out of the inning. And Carnacion took it like he knew it was a ball and ran down to first. And, you know, sometimes you got to sell it. But, uh, you know, I also know if you're not consistently hitting your spot and not moving the ball around where you want it to, then you're losing the umpire a little bit too. You're losing his eye line, right? So if you're 3-0, 3-1, 3-2, and you're fighting your way back, you know, you got you to gotta be a little more impressive than that. But I thought, to your point, with – with the game on the line there in the fifth inning, it's three to one. You're in a good situation. You probably got more out of Granky than you expected. Um, after, like you said, after that first inning, that could have gone awry or could have got ugly. I, I think, I mean, everybody else in baseball does it, right? Paxton went two and the two thirds the other night, and you just, it was definitely the right time to get him out in a situation like that. And I, I've been impressed with uh, Joe Smith, Joe Smith and Will Harris both. Is it Joe Smith? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah. Joe Smith flies under the radar. I mean, those guys come in and Josh James is throwing 99, 98 and, you know, and uh, Osuna comes in throwing 97, 98 with all the weird stuff he does. He's got the double leg kick and the pause and the and he's still throwing 98, which I don't know how he does that and uh, and and does it consistently. But man, Joe Smith and Will Harris, those guys uh, impressive. And I, I just, you can't say enough about him, but obviously AJ looks like a genius for taking Granky out when he did. But uh, I, I thought Granky was fine. Yeah. He, he seemed to have most of his stuff working and he's not the guy that got the, the, you know, $200 million deal a couple of years ago. We keep talking about the velocity being down, but he pitched and he pitched well. And uh, I heard somebody today talk about him potentially as a hall of famer. He's two Oh five and 135. He made like six all-star games, and uh, he won the Cy Young in 2009. So he's 10 years removed from winning a Cy Young. Dude, 
that might be the discussion if they win the World Series. But uh, I, I was perfectly satisfied with how he threw the ball last night, and he did have a couple uh, of high-stress innings. Yeah, I thought he did a great job, and it was a lot of fun to watch him go out there and actually start working it through. You know, there was a good eight or nine outs in a row that he went out there and just carved those guys up, kept them off balance, a lot of soft contact. And I also think <clears throat> with A.J. going into the bullpen in that fifth inning, I thought it was interesting to see him work that bullpen. I really appreciate the fact that he is conscious about not abusing these guys, even when they're doing extremely well. He'll take guys out and re- and and, and – They'll take him out after good appearances. He won't waste the time of trying to force the issue or extend them further than they've gone. He'll let them have a good inning and get him out of the ballgame. So I like the abbreviated stints that he's giving these guys. So it gives these guys a little bit more focus and energy to put into three hitters as opposed to having to put all your energy into it, sit down and try and ramp up again, even though he did it to Osuna. But I think he understands Osuna is a little more suited or built for that type of situation. And I like what he's done with the bullpen using guys in high leverage situations early and still being able to have guys like uh, Tuttle just said, Joe Smith and Will Harris to be able to extend those later innings to, to get to Osuna. And with that being said, maybe he felt a little more advantageous because of the rain out pitching Granky using the bullpen, knowing the next two games have guys that have gone seven, eight innings in the playoffs so far. Did you like what he did with the rotation? And do you, th- do you feel good about it? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, it's so easy to criticize Joe Madden a couple of years ago, which still sticks in my head. Obviously, I brought it up three podcasts in a row. Dave Roberts, we've talked about a few times and we both know him and, and, and care about him. I mean, just a good human being. But some of the decisions he's made or that the organization has made in those crucial situations, AJ to me, really seems to just look at the flow of the game. And maybe he just has the ultimate confidence or he, he knows how that he can defend himself as some, if something goes awry. But I think what I've learned in the business world and what you hear about is trying to put your employees, your players in the best position for them to succeed. And I really think Presley probably would have gone out had Correa not hit that home run. It looked like he had his jacket on. He was sitting at the end of the dugout. It's three to one. He just punched out two guys. I feel like those high leverage innings and all of a sudden now it's six to one and you have this freedom. And I think AJ's like, you know what? I might need Presley again. I don't want to overexpose him. Let me just make this a bullpen game from the sixth or seventh inning on. And now everybody gets a little taste of it. And I also think we talked about Asuna a couple of podcasts ago and whether he's struggling, but his confidence is high. If that's a seven to six game, that's also a different story. Like, you know, he's got guys behind Asuna and in front of Asuna, and there's other guys you can bring in in that situation. You definitely have them go out, but you're much more comfortable bringing your closer in with one or two outs in the eighth inning or even to start the eighth inning with a four-run lead and then sending him back out there. If things go awry or Asuna walks two guys in a seven-to-three game, guess what? It's all hands on deck again, and you just got to get three outs with all the other dudes down in the bullpen, which, you know, I don't know how many dudes he had left down there, but, you know, I mean, you just do whatever you can. And then you, you know, at the dais after the game, you get up there and say, this is what I was thinking. But I, I, I seem to be more aligned with AJ's thinking. I'm not just saying that as a, as a, as an Astros fan, I've become doing the podcast, but it just, it's not that he's pushing the right buttons because Presley's inning was tough and that could have gone, you know, he got behind a few hitters that could have gone awry, but I'm really impressed. And then when you lay out the rotation, yeah, for sure. 
I, I think he's made the right decisions thus far. And, and that's really what's important because I think we talk about momentum and confidence. I think the whole team has confidence in AJ and they'll just carry that momentum moving forward. I think it's going to be really hard to beat them three games in a row. Yep. You are right, Tuttle. They do have a lot of confidence in AJ because they have developed that trust over the last three, four years. And Justin Verlander is going in game five tonight. Preparing for this game has got to be exciting for him. He's pitched in these games before. This is going to be his fifth career start in a potential postseason series clinching game. He is two, or his teams are two and two. Remember, he took that loss in game four against the Tampa Bay Rays this season, but the numbers are astounding. He is in those five, four previous starts. He is two, he has a 2.03 ERA. His whip again, which is walks and hits per inning pitched, is at 0.79. So this guy is absolutely incredible in the zone with his stuff. In uh, those four starts, 35 strikeouts in 26 and two thirds innings. So he has the experience. And I also love the fact that there has been so much banter about how good Garrett Cole is and how phenomenal Garrett Cole is and how Garrett Cole is going to get this. Garrett Cole is that. Guess who? Guess what Justin Verlander, I hope, goes out with the mentality of tonight. Go, hey, guys, remember me? I, I, I'm pretty good, too. I might win myself a Cy Young at the age of 35, 36, so don't forget about me. Wouldn't it be great if he had that mentality and went out and shoved tonight against the uh, New York Yankees? It certainly would for all the Astros fans. That's That's for sure. And, you know, a lot of this, we always talk about being the ultimate competitor and gaining a competitive advantage. What cracks me up is, and people might miss this often, is you want to beat the doors off the Yankees, but don't don't forget for or don't think for one second that Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander don't have like a friendly competition. Like I'm going to outdo you, and you're going to outdo me. I mean, they every day they fight it out. Oh man, you went out and punched out 11 and threw seven scoreless. All right. Tomorrow, I'm going to punch out 15 and go eight scoreless because as a competitor, that's ultimately what it is. You just want to be the best. And I think that's what's really impressive about, you know, the Astros overall is those guys competing against each other day after day after day makes this not a walk in the park. But I would agree with you. JV is going to go out and do everything he can. The same thing as Correa batting seventh. Well, Correa, you've only, you know, you've missed 50 games two years in a row or three years in a row. We're going to bat you seventh or eighth and, you know, let's show us what you can do. Correa's like, all right, I'm going to move my way back up in that order. Here's a three-run homer for you. Here's a defensive star play. I mean, that's all this is, is about competing and being the ultimate competitor. And you compete against the opponent, but you certainly compete against the other dudes in your locker room. And, uh, and that's what I think we're seeing that's bringing the Astros uh, to the forefront. Yep, they're playing great baseball. They've got good pitching. I know they're excited going into this game. Altuve, again, talking about some of the postgame uh, comments. You can almost see the joy in his eyes knowing that they got this game to yesterday in game four from the New York Yankees and leading because it led into the Verlander and Cole situation that potentially might be down the road if necessary. But I thought it was interesting, too, last night. The right side of the infield for the Yankees was terrible. DJ LeMahieu and Glaber Torres, two errors apiece, the first time in the history of the game, history of the World Series that you've had two guys on one side of the infield make two errors apiece in a game, and you give a, a championship team like the Astros that many opportunities or that many outs in a game, they're going to take advantage of it. They did, and in doing so, in making those errors and watching the Astros go out and get hits, I'm going to ask Tuttle a very tough question because when I, what I was watching on TV, and obviously I'm not there I wish I was because you might have had a better feel for it. 
But as you're watching that game on TV and some of the at-bats down the stretch and some of the defensive plays, I kind of felt like the Yankees gave up on that game. Do you feel the same way? You know, I'm so glad I did not tee up this question from you because I wrote down some things. I don't know if we're going to do Weddle Tuttle say today because we're uh, we're just rambling on. I have an answer for you, but I will say I don't think they gave up. I really don't think they gave up. The first of all, one of the errors by LeMahieu. I've never seen a cue ball like that in my life. (laughs) That thing had some English on it. I mean, you get an error, that thing hit his kneecap, and that thing was spinning. Did you? I know you were at the watch party. Did you see how far in the end of the bat he hit that and the rotation on that thing? Yeah, it was uh, the Yuli Uriel at bat with Alex Bregman at second base. And I think Yuli was trying to go that way, but there was such a nasty spin on that pitch that he swung at it and he got too quick on it and did kind of nub it off the end of the bat. But it was it was crazy to watch the replay. DJ LeMahieu's moving well to his right, and that ball hit the edge of the grass and skipped left. And like you said, he had no choice but to throw his glove at it, and it really had no chance. He was He was lucky to get a glove on it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of those weird ones. I don't know if it was an error, but I will say this, and and this is kind of to answer your question, do they give up? I don't think guys give up, but this is something I noticed. I had the good fortune this year. Um, I I typically only go to the Angels games when you come out and uh, leave me tickets. So uh, I went to a couple games. A friend of mine gave me tickets. My daughter, as you know, is a huge baseball fan. I got some good tickets to watch the Yankees play. And some of the guys that impressed me this year were Voight, Luke Voight, uh, Talkman hit a couple home runs against the Angels and a guy named Ford. I can't even remember Ford's first name. I should have looked it up on the roster. Those guys were in the middle of the lineup most of the year. So I'm what I'm trying to say is that the stars are back, but the dudes that played 150 games for the Yankees aren't playing. So Encarnacion's on the uh Encarnacion's on the playoff roster. He played eleven or twelve games this year. You got Stan I'm sorry, Stanton is like eleven or twelve games in this year, and he's a stud, and we all know how great he is. Encarnacion was hurt most of the year. He didn't play. Um, they lost Herman, obviously, rightfully so, one of their better pitchers. He was kind of the anchor of their rotation. He's probably a three-starter, but he's not on their playoff roster, obviously due to off-field issues, and we all have dealt uh, with those in the media and things. But I, I just, I mean, Voight was a huge, Voight and Talkman are the two guys. Um, obviously, Urshelly or Urshel, how do you say, how pronounce it? Urshela. He kind of came out of nowhere as well. But really, the heart of that lineup, when I watched them play in two or three consecutive games, actually, I saw them play in different series, was Voight, Talkman hit a home run, uh, Ford, and Urshela. Those four dudes were kind of in the middle of the lineup all year. And now you're like, all right, sorry, guys. I know Voight's hurt, so he would obviously be on the playoff roster. But Talkman, you're not going to play anymore. Ford, you're not going to play anymore. We're going to put Stanton, Encarnacion back in there. And we've spoken to this. Are Stanton and Encarnacion better baseball players than the, the guys I'm mentioning? Absolutely. I, I would say they are. I mean, that's the contract says it. Their lifetime statistics say it. But you and I know, I've talked about it already on this podcast today, momentum, uh, camaraderie in the clubhouse, uh, support for each other, all that stuff. Those guys were integral in getting the Yankees to 105-win season and the playoffs. And they're not playing, and they're not in the lineup every day. So I, I don't know if they... I don't feel like the Yankees gave up. I feel like they don't have the chemistry and the energy and the focus that it takes to beat an Astros team. And I think part of that is that the clubhouse has had so many dudes in it throughout the course of the year. It's kind of like you rent a player, right? You rented a couple of players and they exceeded their expectations. And now you're renting a couple superstars for the playoffs. And we've seen that with other teams 
in other sports as well. You rent a couple dudes for the playoffs and you expect it to go well. And I don't think you I don't think you can be the puppeteer behind the scene and expect those guys to just jump in the clubhouse, get in the lineup and get rolling. Good stuff, man. I mean, that's digging deep and going into the roster thoughts. And I like it. It's uh, fascinating to think about. You know, we talked about it before where you ride the horses that brought you. Uh, but the contracts and the expectation and the history are probably why some of these guys are on the roster or, or in the situations that they are, because that's the expectation is you pay the guys to go out there and win these ball games, but they're not doing it right now. And a lot of guys who really contributed to getting them to the point they're at have kind of been left off the roster. Unfortunately, that's how it works out with some of the youngsters, but I, it, it does bode well for the future of the New York Yankees, knowing that they have some of these guys waiting in the wings and speaking of roster spots, we saw a guy last night who probably pitched his final pitch in the major leagues on a whole was CC Sabathia. It was a little, it was a little painful for me to watch him go out there, and it was a little painful. It was a very painful to watch him go out the way he did, because you, you always want some of the, these, some of these legend, not legendary, I guess. Well, I mean, some of these guys who have really created a very good career to go off the field in on a high note or off into the sunset, you know, on their horse, just kind of waving at the crowd. I've done my job. Thanks for coming along. But he came off almost in tears because that shoulder finally gave out on him, I think. And, you know, I, I kind of felt like they put him on the roster because they felt obligated to, because he's an inspirational type guy in that clubhouse, to your point, Tuttle. But at the same time, CC Sabathia was not the same guy. He has, have, he has had a Hall of Fame career, but, uh, you know, did he take up a roster spot and how do you feel about him and his career and how he had to go out? Cause that was pretty rough to watch. If he was on our fantasy football team, we would, we would punch ourselves because remember we drafted based on unbiased, uh, like analytical kind of mm -hmm. statistical, uh, statistical facts. And I think to your point, it's very difficult in this day and age with a 25 man roster to kind of give up a spot in terms of a, you know, a heartfelt goodbye and a, and a legitimate, you know, obviously clubhouse presence. So that's something you could probably speak to more. I don't know CC very well, um, or I don't know him at all, but uh, it's kind of hard to give up one of those spots. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely had a great career. And I think this is the tough thing in any fan, especially for a guy that I, you watch from afar is the old discussion about when it's time to hang it up. And I think what, the only thing that CC's done in the past two years, unfortunately, is diminish kind of what how great he was for for five, six, seven, eight years. He was really dominant and really great. And in the past few years with the Yankees, obviously he's done well. He's pitched. He knows what he's doing out there. He's a clubhouse presence, and uh, and all of those positives. I just feel like it's hard to watch him like you said, especially last night with a shoulder injury or just kind of just not have it anymore. And it's just unfortunate that it has to end that way. But I think, you know, you ride it as long as you can. I don't know really how to finish this thought. All I want to say is that it's unfortunate because I think it diminishes what he actually meant to the game and, 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 and how good he really was. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this day and age, you're always remembered for what you did most recently. And unfortunately that will be the most recent memory of CC. Cause I agree with you. He's had a stretch where he was one of the more dominant pitchers in baseball and it created the opportunity for him to become a Yankee because he was so, uh, you know, lauded over, they wanted him in there and he's done a great job. They won that championship in 2009. So 
you know, best of luck to CC. Hopefully it's nothing too devastating, but uh, it is a tough way for him to go out. Uh, we have crushed the Astros series and we are looking forward to game five, but I am very happy to let everybody at home know that we have a new sponsor and it has nothing to do with shaving the boys. <laughs> I don't even know if I should leave that in there, but uh, we have got a new sponsor and we are very happy to have them on. It is Star Solutions, Inc. They are located in Deer Park, Texas. Produces, they produce industrial grade cleaners and the only chemical company serving the bottled water industry exclusively. Their market is both domestic and international with customers in locations coast to coast, ranging from the Caribbean to Canada, situated in the energy capital of the world. And with over 20 years of services to the bottled water industry, they have built a reputation based on trust and quality. Star Solutions offers its services to many clients, including AER Manufacturing, Steelhead Washers, and Culligan Water of Houston, to name a few. Star Solutions, Inc. thrives on cutting technology and thrive on their excellent customer service to serve clients all over the world. Check them out at www.starsolutionsinc.com. US or give them a call at 281-542-1000. And when you call, you can ask for Velma, Sash, or Emily, and they will be sure to handle all your needs. Again, that's Star Solutions, Inc. We appreciate them being on the Blum Show, I guess, so to speak, or the Blum's Show. But do you have any thoughts about the Nationals now that they're chilling out, waiting for the World Series uh, to start with the Astros possibly being one game away, Tuttle? Uh, welcome aboard, Star Solutions. Thanks for jumping on the uh, bandwagon. I keep asking people to jump on the bandwagon. Um, so my 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 concern stays the same. I think we've talked about momentum and a couple other things. The Nationals are a formidable opponent. We don't for one second want to overlook them. And uh, and it really kind of depends on how long this series goes. If the Astros can win tonight, I think it's going to be a tough battle with the Nationals. If the the games go on, like, let's see if this goes to game six. So tonight's game five. If, if they win in game six, then you have another couple days rest and some of the momentum for the Nationals can slow down a little bit. And, you know, everything kind of, I don't know, regresses to the norm. So it'll be really interesting to see. But my, my only thing about the Nationals is, as speaking like an Astros fan, right? I'm like third-person Astros fan here. Um, you know, we, we should be concerned about uh, the depth of the Nationals pitching or the uh, actually the excellence more than the depth. So uh, that's the only thought I have about it. And, uh, and I do feel like the Astros are going to be going to the World Series, whether they win tonight or tomorrow or the next day. But... Uh, somebody put together a thought about how the Astros will, you know, the Yankees win today and they can beat Verlander and then they can, you know, win the next game. It'll be Garrett Cole at home for game seven and they could win in Minute Maid Park. And that would be it, you know, if they won the next time. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I, I don't see I don't see it happening. I mean, they were trying to throw the scenario out there. But uh, but yeah, uh, what are your thoughts about the Nationals? I feel like they're pitching. It all predicates around their pitching. I know Rendon's awesome. Soto's awesome. You know, Ryan Zimmerman's an experienced hitter. I just feel like with Strasburg and, and um, Scherzer, for sure, it's, it, that's where the challenge lies. And uh, they could, you know, potentially go head-to-head -head with Verlander and Cole. And No, it's going to be very interesting. I, I'm with you as far as the Astros. It's going to be tough for the Yankees to beat Verlander or Cole to get into the World Series. But once that matchup is established, they're going to be looking at a rotation 
that in 10 games, they have thrown in 61 and two-thirds innings pitched and struck out 88 hitters. That is a 12.8 strikeout per nine innings, almost 13. So they're doing a good job with the swing and miss. And their ERA is 2.04. And in those 10 games, only given up seven home runs. And the batting average against is 168. So it's going to be the Astros offense against that starting rotation of Anibal Sanchez, uh, uh, Patrick Corbin, uh, Strasburg, and Scherzer, the, the other two names that we know quite well. So that will be extremely tough. But I, it's also going to be interesting to see a guy for me who's kind of the wild card and a free agent, much like Garrett Cole, is Anthony Rendon. He's basically a Houston, he's the son of Houston, went to Lamar High School out here, went to Rice University, uh, drafted out of there and became a Washington National. But he has played seven games against the Astros in his career, 448 batting average, two home runs, eight RBIs, and at Minute Maid Park, he's hitting 450. So this guy has absolutely been tearing the cover off the baseball. Granted, it's a different animal facing Dr Verlander and Cole a couple times in a series, but uh, it's, it's an interesting matchup, and I guarantee you that will be one of the storylines heading forward. For sure. And I think that's going to do it. I know that Tuttle, we normally do the Waddle Tuttle, the Don't Bet on it, we're going to get to real quick, but I just got to make a quick little shout out to Just Geek It Solutions. They're an IT company who does a great job. They helped us with our website, getting Bleacher Blums up and helping us figure out how to monetize that and get it to the people. They are incredible as far as customer service is concerned. There really isn't a day that goes by that I don't get an email from them explaining how the website's doing and some of the uh you know some of the technical issues that we have if any they they fix them in a heartbeat so they do a great job for the residential customer as well as the business customer they you know specialize in customer i mean computer repair not customer repair i know that they probably want to repair some of their customers but uh it's a computer repair service and they do a lot of great uh, IT fixes for you at home so just go to justgeekitsolutions.com Hey, let me throw a quick uh, don't bet on it segment out um, just because I know we got to roll. But um, so I, I want to give you because I'm, you know, the people, they demand it. I'm going to give you and I, want, I just won't <laughs> give the explanation. So it's going to be BYU plus seven. They're playing Boise State. Uh, BYU's at home and that's kind of an in-state rivalry game. I know it's Utah and Idaho, but the, those those teams get after it. Um, Green Bay Packers minus five and a half. I saw a weird statistic on that, so I'm just going to take the Packers minus five and a half. I never take the, I never give up the points, and this is the first time I'm doing it on our podcast. So Packers minus five and a half. Don't ask me why, um, unless you want to write into the mailbag and ask me why. And then Cincinnati, <laughs> who has not won a game all year, uh, is playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Jaguars are favored by four. So I'm going to take Cincinnati plus four, even though I like the Gardner Minshew bandwagon. I uh, I think Cincinnati has a chance to keep that game close or win the game. So just quick, don't bet on it. I don't want to leave the the fans hanging. No, you never do, and you've done a very good job. Again, you're hitting about six sixty seven as far as picks throughout the course of the season. And once we get those picks in, we see the results of those score early next week. We'll get back at you and maybe find out some of the some of the reasoning behind why Tuttle made those picks. But again, it's that tail end portion of Bleacher Blondes. You all have been incredible. And it's been a blast talking about the Astros. They play game five tonight with Justin Verlander, a potential game six back here in Minute Maid Park with Garrett Cole. It's a tough road ahead for the New York Yankees. So I would imagine this weekend might be a little bit of a party weekend here in Houston leading into the World Series. Hopefully, 
don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but uh, this is that portion of the show where we shout out to all the first responders, the police, EMTs, the fire uh, firefighters, big fire downtown here in Houston that went off and those guys and, and ladies went out there and fought like crazy. We appreciate you, the military at home and abroad. We absolutely love and adore you. And thank you for the freedom that you are continuing to bring to us here on Bleacher Blums. One closing thought, 667 was probably my batting average against in AAA, which is why uh, I'm sitting I'm sitting here. Uh, <laughs> Come on. You know, anyway, so uh, no, folks, uh, I, again, just to reiterate what Jeff said, I really appreciate you, uh, the first responders, military, everybody out there. I concur. And um, and that's it. We'll talk to you early next week. That's going to do it for Bleacher Blums. We loved hanging out with you. We look forward to hanging out with you in the future. But until then, especially this weekend, get after it. And most of all, we want you to believe it.